This morning we thought about not being afraid because God is with us. And I think that one of the ways that this works itself out in our lives is that we can begin to think of other things besides the pandemic. It's not to say that it's wrong to think about the pandemic and what it means to respond to it in a godly way. It's rather hard not to think a lot about it because we are more or less confined to our homes because of it. But certainly one of the results of not fearing in a Christian way will be that we will have the mental space for thinking about the gospel and the Christian life and the kingdom of God in a more general way. I don't know about you, but I find it welcome to at least move in the direction of normal in areas where we're able to do that. And so tonight we continue our study in our in the letter, Paul's letter to the Colossians, as part of our regular need simply to feed on the Word of God. One of the central convictions of biblical Christianity is that the primary means that God uses for our spiritual growth is His Word. And because we believe that all of God's word is profitable, it's important that we work our way through various books of the Bible. So this evening our passage is Colossians 1, 24 through 29. And in this passage, Paul speaks about his role as a missionary. His purpose here is to, to emphasize that the gospel that he preached was the true gospel, that it was from God, and, is, and as is often the case when he does that, Paul does, he is countering false teachers in the church. <clears throat> in the second half of chapter 2, he will deal with that false teaching directly, but before he gets to that point, he makes, before he gets to that rather, he makes the point that the gospel that he preached is the true gospel that had been revealed to him by God himself. And you may remember from the paragraph that we looked at last week, Paul had spoken of the urgency of not shifting from the hope of the gospel that they had heard. In the paragraph that we consider this week, which follows that line, that sentence, we'll consider, um, Paul is speaking in this paragraph about his own role in the plan of God for the proclamation of the true gospel, and along the way he makes wonderfully rich comments about how wonderful that gospel is. And this is relevant for you because being a Christian means caring about God's mission in the world. It means loving to think of the glory of the gospel. It means caring about how that gospel works itself out or is to work itself out in our lives. Oh, in verse 24, we have this very striking and almost shocking statement. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now the Bible has an awful lot to say about suffering, and there are many different perspectives. And that's important for us because suffering in one way or another is part of life, and as Christians, it's part of the Christian life. But here Paul is not talking about suffering in general, nor is he even talking about 
the suffering for the sake of the gospel that is common to all Christians. He's talking about his own suffering here for the sake of the Colossians and for the church in general. There are other passages that speak of about suffer, the sufferings that in one way or another are a part of every Christian's life. But that's not what Paul is talking about here, at least not in the first place. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling out what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. So he's talking about his own sufferings as a missionary. Paul is in prison at this point, at the point when he wrote this letter. And there's a a lot in the book of Acts and in the rest of Paul's letters about the many different ways that Paul suffered, ways that were directly related to his work as a missionary. One of the things that this teaches us is that some of God's people are called to suffer in ways that others are not. Paul was a missionary. He traveled around the ancient world proclaiming the gospel And as one who was more prominent, he attracted persecution in a way that others did not. Again, it's not to say that suffering in some way is not part of just the the Christian life. It certainly is. But clearly here, Paul, as a prominent missionary, was suffering in a way that most others in the church were not suffering. And we see that also today when there is persecution. It's often the leaders of the church that bear the brunt of the persecution. doesn't say that regular church members do not suffer. Clearly they do. But still, when you get the reports of people who are killed or imprisoned, very often the stories are about ministers or leaders in the church. Again, that's not to say that not every Christian is is uh, called to suffer in the same way, and that Paul, what Paul is talking about in this passage, is his sufferings for the sake of the church. <clears throat> he suffered in order to bring the word of God to build the church. Now he goes on to say something very striking about the significance of his sufferings for the church. In my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's very striking that Paul speaks of Christ's afflictions as somehow lacking. That does not mean, and Paul is not intending to say, that Christ's suffering for our salvation was somehow lacking. And that then Paul's sufferings were making up for what was lacking in Christ's suffering. That would contradict everything else that Paul wrote about the gospel, about the sufficiency of Christ's sufferings for our salvation. What Paul means here is that Jesus has ordained that the process of proclaiming the gospel to the world will involve suffering on the part of the church. Jesus obtained salvation through his suffering. And then he has ordained that the process of bringing the message of what he achieved to the world would also involve suffering. 
And that's a sense in which Paul writes of filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Christ's sufferings perfectly fulfilled the purpose of saving his people from their sins, but in the plan of God, more suffering was necessary in order to get the message out to the world. And that was the suffering of the people of God in bringing the message to the world. And Paul, Paul himself played a unique role in that as one who was the leading missionary to the Gentiles in the early church. So Paul here is speaking about his own sufferings and not the sufferings of the Colossians. And he's doing that in in this context in which he is urging the Colossians not to shift from the hope of the gospel that they had heard. So the purpose of Paul referring to his own sufferings for them is to convince them that they should stick to the gospel that he had preached and not be influenced by false teachers. In particular, his own his reference to his own suffering made it clear that Paul was not in this for himself. He was willing to suffer for their sake. He's so passionate about his gospel and how important it was for people to hear it that he was willing to suffer in order that the church might hear the good news and be built up by it. And so the application for us is the same as it was for the Colossians. If Paul was willing to suffer and even rejoice in his suffering in order to benefit the church, we should value the gospel very highly and understand that that message is vital for our well-being. We should not be swayed by false teaching, but stick to the biblical teaching And we should see in Paul's willingness to suffer for the sake of the church how important it is to hear and embrace that message that Paul was so eager to bring, the biblical message and not some other. This passage is really all about underscoring how important the gospel, the biblical gospel message is. Verse 25 continues this theme by emphasizing that Paul had been called by God to bring that message. So first he's willing to suffer in order to bring it. Now he's going to stress that the message comes from God. He says that he became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him for you, for them, for the Colossians, to make the word of God fully known. So again, to emphasize how important it was for the Colossians to stick to that message and to respond to it, Paul is reminding them that his message ultimately came from God. Paul says that he's been made a servant of the church. That's the meaning of the word minister there. And that ministry was a stewardship from God. The idea of stewardship has to do with being entrusted with a responsibility given from God. We're used to thinking about the idea of stewardship in connection with how we use our money and how we use our gifts. 
They're given to us to be used, to be managed, to be stewarded for the glory of God. Here Paul is emphasizing that he'd been given the gift, or rather the task of serving the church as a stewardship assigned to him from God. And it was for them, for the Colossians, for the church. The task had been that he had been given by God for the church was to make the word of God fully known. Again, the point that Paul is making has to do with the importance of his teaching, the importance of the word of God. He's saying that the message that he is communicating in this letter is a message that comes from God himself. Paul made the same point to the Thessalonian church when he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So in our text, Paul is underscoring the importance of his message by emphasizing that it was the word of God. And his purpose in this context is to urge the Colossians to receive his message as the word of God, a word which God had given for them. And it was so important for their well-being that Paul was happy to be suffering in order to get that word to them. He also stresses here the importance of them hearing and believing and obeying the whole word of God. He says here that the stewardship that God had given him for them was to make the word of God fully known. Paul is passionate about the Colossians knowing the message of the word of God fully. Clearly, he does not believe that a simple summary of the gospel message is enough for the health and the well-being of the church. In the nature of things, it is necessary to begin with a summary of the gospel in evangelism. But what Paul is emphasizing here is that for the members of the church to grow as Christians, they need the whole word of God. Paul emphasizes the same point in his farewell speech to the elders of Ephesus that is recorded in Acts chapter 20 in verse 27 there. He says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And in his emphasizing the importance of teaching and thus learning the whole count, the whole word of God, Paul is reflecting Jesus himself, who when he gave the great commission, instructed the church to make disciples by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The application of this point for us is that it's very important for us to take seriously the whole process of increasing in our knowledge of the Word of God. In this letter, Paul is teaching the Colossians the Word of God more fully. And in this, in this letter, he's teaching the Word of God more fully to the Colossians. And in this passage, 
He is seeking to convince them how important it is for them to learn and to embrace what he is teaching them. That is why in preaching, we seek to cover as much of the Bible as possible and to preach and to teach every subject and every theme. That's why we seek to go beyond the basics in preaching and teaching. And the implication for all believers is that we should be eager to grow in our knowledge of God's word. As Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And that's why the author of the letter to the Hebrews rebukes the members of the Hebrew church for their lack of growth in understanding the message he writes in Hebrews 5.11. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's clearly not pleased about that. God is teaching us here the importance of growing in the knowledge of his word for our spiritual growth and well-being. It's not the only important thing in the Christian life. It's possible to be knowledgeable in the word of God and very weak in putting it into practice. But there can be no question that one of the great emphases of Scripture is the importance in growing of growing in our knowledge of God's Word for our spiritual growth. And that's really what this text is all about. In the next two verses, Paul continues to emphasize the importance of his teaching by emphasizing how, how precious and significant the gospel message is. In verse 26, he speaks of it as the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. By that, he's saying that this message is something incredibly special. It's a message that had been hidden for ages and for generations, but now has been revealed. Paul uses the idea of mystery. <clears throat> when he uses the idea of mystery, he's not referring to what we think of as something mysterious, but rather it has a very specific meaning about something that had been hidden and which now has been revealed. And we look at the storyline in the Bible, it's clear that God has revealed himself and his purposes of salvation and judgment gradually in history. It's also clear that the coming of Jesus with his, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, and then the apostolic explanation of Jesus' significance, all of that represents a great burst of revelation of both salvation and judgment. The New Testament makes it very clear that <clears throat> Jesus and all that he accomplished represents the great turning point in history. And the message that is rooted in him is the most glorious message imaginable. And Paul is reflecting and contributing to that theme here in these verses. <clears throat> the message that he was preaching is 
the hidden, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So he's saying it's something very, very special. Verse 27 continues to emphasize the glory of the message to them, that is to the saints. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is something incredibly wonderful, Paul is saying. Paul is characterizing the incredible significance of the message that he had proclaimed throughout the world. The idea of the mystery being revealed through Paul's teaching has a lot to do with the gospel coming to the Gentiles. Very often when Paul discusses the idea of the, the, the mystery of the good news of Jesus, an important part of that mystery, an important part of that which had been hidden but now revealed, is the fact that God's plan of salvation includes the Gentiles, which is another way of saying that it is for the whole world. That was something new for the Jews. It was certainly a mystery to them, and it took them a while to wrap their heads around it, and some of them never did. From the time of Abraham until Pentecost, Jews, the Jews were the people of God. In his long-term plan, God had all the world in mind, but for a very long period of time, his focus was on the Jews. And so the, the fact that the Gentiles were to be included among the people of God, not by becoming Jews, but through faith in Jesus Christ, that was an incredibly significant development in God's plan of salvation. And Paul is very excited about that. So why he's so zealous to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He understood what a great blessing this was. He understood that this was the greatest possible news. Through his message, which centered on Jesus, God was calling people from all nations to himself. God was proclaiming to the whole world the good news of salvation in Jesus. The preaching of Jesus to the Gentiles is about the preaching of Jesus to the whole world. And that message is the most glorious message imaginable. This message, this mystery, long hidden but now revealed, is the proclamation of salvation in Jesus for the whole world. Listen again to how, how Paul speaks of it. To them... <coughs> To them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of His glo- of the glory of His of this mystery. And what is that glorious mystery? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glorious message <clears throat> that Paul is proclaiming can be summed up by the words "Christ in you, the hope of glory." Believers in Christ have Christ in them. Paul gives a little stronger, a little longer explanation of expression of this idea in Galatians 2.20, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when Paul speaks about Christ in me as something that is wonderful and glorious, he's speaking about a whole new way of living life. He's speaking about Christ living in us and enabling us to live the new life that he came to bring. Paul's very excited about that. This is not some abstract doctrine. This is a whole new life he's talking about. This is about Jesus living in his people and enabling them to live in a whole new way. You know, a huge part of the biblical message has to do with how to live life. The biblical message is consistently that living a life of sin is subhuman. It is a form of death, and it leads to death. It is a life of hopelessness. It is a life of superficial pleasures which miss the deepest and greatest joy and satisfaction possible, which is life with God and for God. That's what Jesus came to bring for people from all the nations. And that's what's represented by this term, Christ in you. When Christ is in you, he is animating you. He is changing you to live life as it was meant to be lived. Paul's very excited about proclaiming that message was so wonderful and so glorious that he's willing to do whatever it took to proclaim that message to as many people as possible and to expound that message to the churches. He goes to elaborate on the meaning of Christ in you with the phrase hope of glory. So living with Christ in you is a life of hope and the hope is for glory. And that's the opposite of living apart from Christ. To live without Christ is death leading to death. It is a dead end. It is a life of hopelessness. But if Christ is in you, you have hope and you are heading for glory. Now the idea of Christians being glorified is an interesting one. It almost seems wrong to want glory. We know that life is about living to the glory of God. But what we need to understand that Living for the glory of God is glorious. There's a wrong way of seeking our own glory, but there's also a right way. And the right way is to be passionate about God's glory. But if we are passionate about God's glory, and that's what happens when Christ is in us, that in itself is glorious. God created us as human beings to be glorious, to have glory and honor through putting God first in our lives and living for him. Paul said, or Psalm 8, 5 says of humanity, you have made him and crowned him with glory and honor. To the degree that we become what we are created and saved to be, to that degree, 
we are glorious. And the essence of that glory is that we seek the glory of God first of all. And that's what Paul is after for the Colossians. In verse 28 he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he works, that he powerfully works within me. This last verse helps us to understand what Christ in me means. It means that Christ is working powerfully within us, with his energy. And the result is that we toil and struggle to live the life that Christ calls us to live. That life is here described as mature in Christ. That's Paul, that's what Paul was seeking for the Colossians. And his way of nurturing that is through warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. To be mature in Christ involves fighting against sin. Warnings are for correction. Warnings are about the danger of sin. Paul's ministry of the word included warnings against sin. That's very obvious from from his letters. To turn from sin, to turn to Christ, is to turn towards maturity in Christ. And teaching, what he goes on to speak about, has an important role to play as well. When we think of Paul's teaching, or more generally biblical teaching, besides warning, we have the instruction of the kind of life that is pleasing to God, but we also have all the wonderful truth about God, about the gospel, about Jesus, about salvation, about the plan of God. And all of that truth motivates us to strive for maturity in Christ. So much of Paul's teaching is about motivation because it's about the glory of God. It's about the wonder of his salvation. If we think about Paul's teaching besides warning, it's all about the truth of what God has done in Christ, what he is doing to reveal his glory in the salvation of sinners. Teaching the Bible about God and about salvation, we have encouragement in the teaching of the Bible about God and about salvation. We have encouragement. We have motivation to want to grow to be more like Christ. This is the purpose of so much of the biblical teaching. There's warning of dangers and the emptiness of life apart from God. And those are plentiful and seriously and must be taken seriously. But there's so much teaching that is not warning, but the glory of God, the wonder, the wonderful news of salvation in Christ through faith and instruction concerning how to grow toward maturity in Christ. And this passage is, is a part of that. If there's anything that stands out in this passage, it's Paul's great excitement and passion for the gospel. He's passionate about the glory of Christ, but he's also passionate about how great a blessing it is to embrace the gospel and then to live the life of growing 
to maturity in Christ. He's willing to suffer in order to bring that gospel to the world and to the church to build up the people of God. He could even rejoice in his sufferings, not because he enjoyed suffering, but because he understood the significance, the purpose of his sufferings. In these verses, Paul conveys to us a sense of great enthusiasm for the gospel and for the blessed life that that gospel is intended to produce. And that surely is a great part of the way that we are motivated to share that enthusiasm ourselves and feed on these truths as a means of growing toward that maturity in Christ that Paul is so anxious to see in the Colossians. Let's pray. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for the glory of the gospel, the wonder of your grace, the incredible significance of you dwelling in your people by faith, your life in us, which is the hope of glory. We thank you for the, the significance of that term glory when it applies to us the wonderful way in which it's related to you, that we are only glorious as we submit to you and put you first, but also reflect you. For you are the glorious one and the source of all glory. Lord, we pray that we may be encouraged as we have meditated on this passage We pray that we may have a a greater zeal for the gospel that Paul preached and that we may have a strong desire to grow in that glorious way of life of being mature in Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.